BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. If you're the kind of person who shops at Target, you know about the following experience. Very common. You go in with a list of two or three or five things, and then you start looking around and you see the deals and you see the stuff that you didn't know you absolutely had to have that day. And so you come home with 53 items. Everybody does it. It's totally normal. In fact, their corporate model kind of depends on that happening. But that trend may be changing since Target's profits dropped 90% in the second quarter of this year. And that's despite revenues seeing a nearly billion dollar rise, all because of inventory management and price changes that they've had to put in post-COVID or toward the end of COVID. Now, yes, typically investors look at a 90% profit drop as a big sign of bad things happening, but they say, as in the company says, that this is a result of changes they've had to make to adapt to the marketplace so that they're positioned for better results in the future. So how can it be a good thing to make so much less money even though you're selling an overall volume that's even higher than it had been before? Well, here's the explanation. There's all kinds of stuff that people were buying up a ton of during the pandemic, and they've kind of stopped and shifted over to other items now that they're not at home all day. And as a result of that shift, they have been oversupplied in some things. This is kind of the flip side of the supply chain shortage problems. So Target has been full of things that nobody really wanted anymore. They've had to slash prices on those items in order to move them out the door. As a result, yes, they're selling a lot of stuff, but they're actually taking, you know, presumably losses on some of that material in order to clear out shelf space for the other stuff that people are now turning to in their purchasing habits. So as an example, during the pandemic, Target was selling a ton of coffee makers, lamps, and things that people use when they're at home. But now as people are out, or also there's some thought about how inflation is affecting purchasing, high-frequency items that you buy over and over again, like food and household essentials, are getting purchased more frequently. Meanwhile, Target's actually canceled orders for some of the discretionary categories that are experiencing lower demand as the population shifts back to an open economy. So, yeah, the takeaway here is that Target is still counting on you going in with your intention to buy two or three things and coming home with 40. So they have to put the right stuff in your way that you're currently interested in in order to get you to pick up the extra 40. And until these changes, they haven't really been positioned to take advantage of that. If we could figure out a way to successfully treat an illness or a disease or a disability that people have, what would be the most significant one to treat? Well, obviously, people are going to say things like cancer or heart disease, but have you ever considered blindness? When people can't see, that is a massive disability that they suffer, right? And historically, when people have a certain kind of blindness caused by a disease called keratoconus, where the cornea becomes so thin that it can lead to blindness, we didn't really have a great solution. Instead, basically, surgeons were dependent on organ transplants from other people, and then a very complicated surgery involved replacing the old cornea with the donated cornea and then stitching it in and then having, hopefully, after a long period of time where you didn't reject that part with drug therapy, that it would give you better sight. 
the problem. Obviously, this is a very difficult thing, and it depends on the availability of donated corneas, and it's expensive, which means that for so many of the people around the world who don't have the ability to afford that sort of a surgery, it's just not available. In fact, right now, about one in 70 people around the world who need a cornea transplant can get one, and more than 12 million of them have blindness caused by damaged or diseased corneas. Into this problem step researchers from Sweden who published their findings in the journal Nature Biotechnology. They have taken collagen protein from pig skin and put it through some processes in order to purify and refine it and then shaped it into something resembling the human cornea and inserted it into now human trials, small stage human trials. The study involving 20 participants of fully blind or partially blind people in India and Iran produced amazing results. None of the 14 who had been fully blind before were blind anymore, and three of the participants who had been blind wound up with perfect vision. No one reported any complications during the operation or during a two-year follow-up period, and it only takes an eight-week course of eye drops to stop the implant from being rejected, whereas the traditional cornea transplant takes several years of ongoing treatment to make sure that they hold on to the corneas. One additional benefit is that when you implant a donated cornea, you have to do so very quickly. In fact, donated corneas are only good for about two weeks. This mass-produced transplant cornea from pigskin collagen, two years. Shelf-stable for two years. The surgery itself is non-invasive. It doesn't involve the stitching, and therefore it's a very simple thing to do relatively. So you're talking about a genuine possibility when they go through the next phase of larger-scale human trials. You could legitimately be talking about a relatively cheap solution for 12 million blind people around the world. Pretty amazing. And finally, you may have heard back in the 70s that there was this concern that we were overpopulating the world. And then if you've been paying attention to literature more recently, the concern is that we are underpopulating. We are not making enough human beings to replace the ones that we already have. This is especially problematic in countries that have taken dramatic steps to try to reduce population growth like in China. But you have other places where there just are not enough children being born. I take you now to Russia, where they're seeing population decline on such a scale, both because of just not reproducing enough, but also because people are leaving over frustration with the Ukraine war. And of course, you know, 70 or 80,000 people have been killed in that war. But Russian population, which is currently about 145 million, is declining an average of 86,000 people a month for the first six months of the year, which is a record high decline. It's going to fall to 132 million in the next two decades. And the concern is that by the start of the next century, they could be cut almost in half to only 83 million people. So if you are the leader of Russia, Vladimir Putin, and you're trying to solve this problem and reverse this trend, what do you do? Well, obviously, you award people merit badges for having lots of kids. Isn't that the natural solution? Well, that's exactly what they're doing. President Putin is now reviving the Mother Heroine Award that was first established under Joseph Stalin in 1944. He gave it to more than 400,000 women before they scrapped using it after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. But now, under a decree issued this week, any woman who qualifies for the Mother Heroine Award receives a one-time payment of one million rubles not dollars, don't get ahead of yourself, $16,000 to be precise. And you get this if you are a mother who is a citizen of the Russian Federation who has given birth to and brought up 10 or more children who are citizens of the Russian Federation. I'm reading now from their release. The prize is also awarded on the condition that, it's a little bit brutal, the other nine children are still alive. 
But exceptions will be made for mothers whose children have died or gone missing in defense of the fatherland or in the performance of military service or civil duty. And when you receive the award, oh yes, it's an actual award. It's a giant five-pointed star that you wear proudly on your chest, supposed to be on the left side of the chest, according to Russian regulations. And it says, Mother Heroine, so that everybody can know that you had 10 children or more, all of whom survived. Now, in case you think Putin is grabbing this out of thin air, no, no, no. This is actually adding to the award the Parental Glory Award created in 2008, but it was a lower threshold. That was for families with seven or more children. So now, yes, in Russia, they're going to pay you to have a large family. The thing I'm trying to figure out here is to what degree is this the motivational difference for people? Like some man and woman are sitting there at, you know, nine and thinking, do we, don't we, do we? Oh, 16 grand, we're in. Isn't it frightening that $16,000 could be considered motivational? In America, that barely pays for a normal delivery. That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. Consider subscribing to this podcast and our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Before you leave, give me the mother heroine rating. Well, at least five stars, okay? I appreciate it. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thank you for listening to the Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.